it's Kim Orleski. I just finished an awesome podcast with Ryan from World of Speakers. I am excited to tell you all about how the suffering and the bleeding of event organizers can be resolved by you. Yes, you, through the use of storytelling and empathy. Listen here. Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Welcome back everyone to another episode. I'm super stoked because we have Kim Orleski here. Now, aside from an awesome accent because she's Canadian, we are gonna learn about her tips, her tricks, her travels around the world, her books that she's written, and the advice that she can have for you to become the speaker that you want to be. Kim, how are you today? I'm doing awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. Well, I'm glad that you're here. Now, today, I want to find out first more about you because you've got this crazy story, corporate, Xerox, successful, behind the desk, and then you drop the desk, you run around the world for however many months, you write a couple books, and now you're teaching everybody the soul of sales, essentially. Is that is that about wrap up your whole life? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. This is the end of the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you know, on, on your sites, it's like sell more faster. And just sort of with the, the brief outline of this travel and this nomadic lifestyle, I, I'm curious between that dichotomy, right? Because it's like there's this nature, peace, loving environment, and then it's like sell more faster. <laughs> and I love that <laughs> you've got this weave in between here, which is like the soul of sales, right? Do it faster, maybe, so you can get out there and travel. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you know what, and you're, you are right, and it is it's such a dichotomy. And the interesting thing about it is, in order to sell more faster, you actually have to slow down the process. Mm. And when we're, you know, it, it's, it comes back to this whole idea of like, you know, that mindfulness and everything, and, and beyond just all that buzz behind it. When we're present in a conversation with a prospect or a client, we understand their problems, and we can kind of create the solutions that they need in a faster way, because they truly feel like we understand where they're coming from. We're not just going ahead and trying to push our product or service. We're providing them with value on how they can best address whatever their challenges are. Sneaky. That's good. That's legitimate right there. That's not selling more faster as in speed. It's increasing your speed at which you can figure out what problem needs to be solved and the speed at which you can solve it, which ends up more sales. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think there's like a Japanese proverb or something on that, right? Where it talks about, you know, if you want to go fast, you know, slow down. Right. right. And we all know whether the horse, or what is it, not the horse, the uh, the rabbit or the hare. No, those are both the same. The turtle and the, what am I looking for here? The you know, slow the, the, the and tortoise and the hare. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we know, we're vibing. You know what? That was a good example. I should have just slowed down so that I could have set it faster. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So where did were you always did you always have this mentality of sort of thinking twice, measuring twice, cutting once? Were you the analytical type of kid? Were you the the rambunctious kid? Where did it all begin? Yeah, so I mean, you know, yeah, you no know, and yes, right? So I mean, <laughs> the first part was like god no, I was never the slowed down person. Okay. Um I was a super analytical person. I had my life in a spreadsheet and I wanted everything yesterday. Right. I mean, I look back on, you know, trying to, you know, get awards with school, right, and becoming class president, um, all the way to like, you know, my relationships and whether we're talking relationships and sales or actual, you know, physical, you know, love relationships. I mean, the irony is being 
when I'm on stage and speaking, I talk about how a sales conversation is a lot like a dating process. Mm. And we never try to propose marriage on the first date, right? right I mean, the right. person would think, you know, right off. And yet the irony is, you know, years ago, I mean, I remember being in these relationships and I'd be like, okay, guys, like time's ticking. We're getting close to the two-year <laughs> mark. Are we, are we getting serious or not? <laughs> and now, you know, I mean, the whole travel changed all of that. And it allowed me to say, you know what, you're right. Like I need to slow down that process, enjoy the moment that you're in, create valuable relationships with people and the rest will truly follow. And when you not just live it and breathe it, but your entire life and the way you converse with prospects and clients contain that, it's amazing how much quicker yet at the same time, how much more fruitful those relationships become. Hmm. It's it, it makes me think to the, I forget who wrote it, but the letter is a long letter and it basically apologized for not having enough time to write a shorter letter. Oh my goodness. I actually said that quote today. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I was like, had I had more time, I would have written you a shorter letter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's very much that case, right? Where we take our time. We understand not just the idea behind everything that we say, but the reason behind why we're saying it. I, I was on another podcast this morning. We were talking about phone calls. And I, you know, I asked the host, I said, what's the number one reason people make phone calls? And he was like, well, I don't know, to get people to know. I said, no, I said, to get the next meeting. And we forget that that's supposed to be the outcome. And when we focus on what the outcome is supposed to be, everything leads in the right direction and with the right pieces in place. Now, you are Canadian, is that correct? I am Canadian. Yeah. And you'll okay. notice it in whenever I say things like process is a niche. <laughs> and a boot too, right? A boot. A boot, yeah. So how was growing up in Canada? What, what part? And, you know, were you in the really cold area or were you in sort of the... Uh, next to the ocean? Where were you? No, my goodness. I wish I was next to the ocean. No, my parents made me grow up in like the dark prairies. So if you've ever heard of a place called Edmonton, right? Um, If you are an NHL fan, at least the Edmonton Oilers. Yes. Okay. Thank you. I grew up in the heart of like the Gretzky and the Messier days and everything else like this. And so, but Edmonton is a cold place. I think we would get darkness 16 hours a day in the middle of winter or sorry yeah darkness for 16 hours every day in the middle of winter but on the flip side the summers were exactly the opposite the days were so long I remember as a kid we were allowed to play in the summertime until it got dark which would sometimes be like 11 p.m at night and then we could have to come in (laughs) yeah but it was brutally cold in the winter time and uh you know I think the only reason I know this is because minus 40 is the same in Celsius as it is in Fahrenheit and we could get down to minus 40 if you can even fathom how cold that is and lots of snow and but I I mean Canada is a beautiful place I love it here. Uh, I don't know if I would ever move, right? But I love also getting down to the States as often as I can, sharing my message, going down for various speaking events whenever I'm invited or making those happen. Now, when you were traveling and sort of picked up and just became, you know, a nomad for a while, was there an element of exploration that really has sort of, is that something that you hadn't been able to do and you wanted to? Or were you doubling down with that? You're also sort of like not only experiencing, but scoping out these different areas and possibly living, or was it just truly a pick up, get away, take a breather and then come back and hustle? Yeah. I, I, when I traveled, I mean, I wasn't expecting to come back and become an entrepreneur. That was something that just naturally evolved through that process. 
the intention of the trip itself was something that I had always wanted to do. I mean, at the time, I wasn't young by any means, right? I mean, I was, I had passed my, you know, the ridiculous 20s where you can really do anything. I mean, at the time, I was 31 years old. I was well-established with like, you know, a six-figure career. I had, you know, a four-bedroom house. I mean, I, you know, I was, I was doing quite well. I was on the right path as somebody should be in their 30s. And I just, I woke up one day and I said, you know what, like, what am I doing? Right. I I knew when I started asking myself deeper questions, like, you know, what do I really want out of life and where do I want to be? Travel kept coming up as one of them. And at the time, one of my biggest regrets was never taking that opportunity to take that gap year between university and starting my career. I was in such a hurry for everything. I was in hurry, hurry, rush, rush, like get your career started, you know, get you build up your equity, buy that house, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know what, why was I in such a rush? Right. And what is really stopping me right now? At the time, I was not married with any kids. And I thought this is probably my most perfect opportunity to be able to go do that. And when I had spreadsheeted out my life like I did, I realized on two week vacations, it was going to take me well past retirement to see all the places that I wanted to see. So I said, I'm going to do this now. And I was so glad that I did. I had, you know, made this list of countries that I wanted to see with the whole intention of when I went, I was just going to say yes to every experience and opportunity that had presented itself because my entire life was all about restrictions and limitations and saying no for now because something greater might come as opposed to saying, why not say yes in this moment? It was, I mean, you know, the experience itself ended up opening up doors that I had never thought possible later on, but was only because I was willing to throw caution to the wind and try something completely different and really for myself in that moment. Well, I can't tell that you're excited about the experience at all. Your, your tone of voice <laughs> does not give it away. Sounds like it was terrible. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was, you know, jumping on planes and jet setting all over the place. <laughs> yeah. But you know, what's interesting is that a lot of people want that international speaking lifestyle, but I don't know if everyone understands what happens when you travel. I mean, it's, there's a big part of traveling when you're speaking internationally, just even speaking across the border or something like that. But uh, how are you feeling with traveling? Is it something like the travel part of traveling, right? Like getting to the destination. What are your thoughts on that? I love it. Like if I'm not on a plane at minimum every six weeks, I start to get really itchy, right? And I had uh, I had my my firstborn in February. And so there's the travel portion has kind of been put a little bit on the hiatus for the last little while. But I love I love going to destinations. I love really experiencing the culture. That was one thing that I took away from more than anything else on that trip was before that point in time, most of my traveling had included all inclusives in Mexico and Dominican Republic right. and Jamaica. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I never really felt like I had explored the culture. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm in countries like Vietnam and Turkey and, you know, Egypt, and I am actually, you know, staying in, you know, local little, you know, two star hotels type of thing. And immersing myself in the food and the language. And as much as I thought, I remember going to one place in Thailand and not understanding a single thing on the menu board, but somehow on a iPad app that I had, I was able to say, I'll have that. <laughs> and I point to some random dish and I had no idea what it was. It ended up being beef balls, which I was like, <laughs> I'm like, well, at least I didn't know about it at the time. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Beef balls. I, I've had meatballs, but not beef balls. But I guess beef balls are still meatballs and meatballs are beef balls. So. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I didn't know about it at the time. 
yeah, I was in uh, I was in the Philippines and I, I had my fair share of just about everything, like chicken feet and yes. you know whatever they're selling off the corner. That's I would always just prefer to eat kind of stuff off the streets, and uh, it definitely is eye opening. Uh, fills your stomach full of uh, interesting food, but definitely the culture and perspective. And I'm assuming you bring all of that now worldly perspective into the sales training that you do. I, I do. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I do a lot of talks and a lot of the stories that I tell from stage are very travel related because it creates that moment of inspiration and whimsy, you know, with um, with the audience. I, I do incorporate a little bit of the travel in the actual sales training, but I mostly save all the travel stories for the, the moments on stage. Right. When I am in the training portion of it, I mean, I talk a lot about empathy and connecting with people and understanding where they come from, from all walks of life, which was a big appreciation I took from travel. So talk about for a second, the type of sales training that you do. I mean, are you just teaching people to craft their sales tools in general? Are you specific to any industry? A little bit more about kind of how you are honing in this craft and helping people with it. Yeah. So, I mean, my personal experience, you know, working with Xerox and American Express and even, you know, a little bit in medical sales, I learned very quickly that the hardest sales out there were the untangibles, where you weren't necessarily selling a product, a widget, something that somebody could hold on to. But, you know, it's anything that was, you know, service related, software was always a big one. Um, Anything where your client really doesn't necessarily understand, you know, what they're getting because there's nothing for them to hold on to. So I love spending a little bit of time with people understanding what that value conversation is. I don't work with any specific industry, but the people that, you know, love taking my training, whether they're entrepreneurs or small businesses, are typically selling their products into other businesses. So it's a B2B type of conversation. And they need to understand what that entire value discovery are. Finally, I, because myself, I love to practice what I preach type of thing. I also believe in premium product for a premium price. I don't believe in discounting or negotiating. I believe in, at the end of the day, showing the client the complete picture of what they're going to get, what that solution completely looks like for the client. And if you're currently having, or you know anybody that's having those types of conversations where I need to create crazy amounts of value for my customer on something that they're not going to be able to touch and feel, but at the end of the day is going to impact their business significantly. That's the type of training that I do. And we go through the entire sales process as opposed to other trainings that are out there where this is very driven on e-course, which personally I am not a huge fan of, specifically when it comes to the sales conversation, because sales is something that you need to do. Knowing is not doing. And I've transitioned my courses now to be a virtual classroom environment. So you learn a little bit and then you have to practice in the sandbox a little bit. And for things such as cold calls, it's amazing because people will be as nervous pretending to make a phone call as they do actually making the legitimate phone call. And if you can get all those nervousness out in the classroom environment, it becomes so much easier and more effective when they're out there smashing those phone calls, getting those meetings and essentially being able to sell more faster. Smashing phone calls. I love the smashing, smashing element. Phone calls. <laughs> So I'm going to assume that there's a big part of the sales process, at least the way that you teach it, that has to do with the confidence, getting over those nerves. Would you consider a big part of the selling process being smashing your public speaking skills? At the end of the day, it comes a lot to confidence. It becomes, you know, understanding your message so well. And when we're talking about relating selling to public speaking, there's so many 
a similar elements, everything from storytelling, right? There's so much scientific research done nowadays that a story can help a product sell faster and for a higher profit. There's a great story I saw on Twitter a couple days ago, and it was about a woman who was selling her Honda Accord. Like it was a 1996 Honda Accord, ridiculous. And I think she was trying to sell it for like 700 pounds, right? And so her boyfriend went ahead and created this like little 90 second video about this vehicle. It's currently listing on eBay for people are wanting to pay up to $100,000 for this car. Yeah, because of the story, right? Wow. And there's other scientific research done on this where people will go ahead. There was this one group that went ahead and they went to thrift stores and they bought all these little items off the thrift store shelves. And for every item that they bought, I think they ended up spending in total $100. But for every item they bought it as they listed it on eBay, they told this wonderful story about it, right? About how, you know, it reminded them of their grandma and everything else at this. And these, pri- these items, went for like 20 times the value of what they had originally paid for because storytelling is so important and we know this from public speaking. The other thing is, is just really connecting with your audience and your message and through the use of empathy. When we're public speaking, we're standing on stage, we tell not just stories, but we try to get the audience to understand how we were feeling in a very specific moment and by doing that, you know, they can then resonate within their own selves. When we're selling in the same way, we try to get the prospect to understand why we got into business in the first place and what we expect it to impact on the world. And when we do that, the prospect is willing to engage with us even further and continue on with our story and our journey with them. Those are all what I love about the type of advice that you're giving it's my favorite type of advice because I really believe successful people are not successful because they're doing things everyone else cannot do. Successful people are doing things that everyone can do, but not everybody does. And it's just so powerful to have things like empathy and storytelling continue to come up as like some of the best pieces of advice that people can give. But for somebody who hears that, they're like, yeah, stories, great. Yeah, empathy, great. But they're still like not connecting with it. How do you get people to tap into their own stories or convince them that their stories are still cool, right? I haven't traveled around the world, but do you have any exercises for people to really take those pieces of advice and, and, you know, find something that's within them that they can do without, I guess, being intimidated by that process? You know what? Everybody has a very unique story, no matter what. And at the end of the day, it's about what your personal life experience has helped you to do to contribute to where you are today. Because, you know, I mean, you might not have been able to experience traveling with a backpack, you know, across 17 countries in six months. However, you know, you went from an accountant to, you know, a artist, right? It might not seem very glamorous, but at the same time, somebody, there's another accountant out there that completely resonates with that. And they're like, I have this creative piece in me and I never got a chance to be able to open that up before. I think when it really comes down to stories, I mean, the first one is when you find something that makes you emotionally charged, you practice it, you know, play around with it a little bit, but ask yourself for every story that you tell, why am I choosing this story and what's the purpose 
behind it. If I tell this story, what do I hope somebody to learn or gain out of it? And it doesn't have to be, you know, a life altering moment, you know, that these stories can have. I mean, you know, we know these even from when we tell jokes, right? When you tell a joke to somebody, you talk about, you know, how you were sitting in a bar and like, you know, a rabbi, the Easter bunny and, you know, Popeye all walked Elvis. in. Elvis, you know, <laughs> that type of thing, right? You're like, you know, but people are caught in. Right. You know, they know that it's, you know, not completely real, but they're like, oh, my goodness. Like, you know, that's that's awesome or whatever. You know, we we have all experienced, you know, whether that is, you know, sitting at a bus stop and having, you know, the person next to us tell for five minutes something really powerful that just happened to them or, you know, a life experience where we've all been completely moved by something, you know, sometimes so mundane. And at the same time, it was so memorable in our lives. I think no matter who you are, there is something you can share that will move people beyond words. And it's not about you know, the, what the story is, but what you hope people will learn from it that makes it a powerful story. I think that's a good distinction, right? Because there's all kinds of little lessons learned in stories, but the stories might not be glamorous, but the lessons might be on point with what you're trying to train on or you're trying to use as an example against or how you came up with whatever you came up with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, even when I created my own stories, I mean, you know, when I'm standing on stage, I mean, I could have told like a hundred thousand different stories of my travels, but I asked myself, what do I want somebody to learn from them? And one of my signature stories that I talk about is this hike up Kilimanjaro and how it took me, you know, several days. And I had this guy that was trying to slow me down and, you know, and I go into, extensive detail about summit day and how dark it was and eventually getting up there and celebrating with all these people. But I chose that story, not because, I mean, number one, everyone thinks that's pretty cool. But when I was actually determining which stories I wanted to tell from stage, I asked myself, what do I want people to take away from? And one of the points for me was that it takes a village essentially to get you where you need to go. And that it could seem easy at the beginning, but it's always really tough at the end. And so I said, okay, well, that's the point I want to make what story has that parallel to it hmm. or what, you know, what's, what elements can I pull to make those parallels? And that's why I specifically chose the Kilimanjaro story because I knew what the point of what I wanted to make. And then I just asked myself, you know, when have I experienced that in my life and what can I tell to make that as a connection? It's a reverse engineering storytelling tactic. I know the analytical piece of me comes out again. <laughs> right. Get your spreadsheet, right? Come up with what you want and then reverse engineer it, patch it into a, into your, you could probably create a system or an app where people are traveling and they're entering stories or moments, almost like a journal that have some sort of an emotional relevance. And then maybe they also have a comment about like their lessons learned or as a separate exercise, you have them type in like the messages that you want to share. And then you could figure out the app and it basically is a, it's a dating system between your stories and the output so that you have an arsenal of stories that are real that back up what you want to say. I think it's a brilliant <laughs> idea, right? The interesting part is, you know what, I, even when I was in those moments, right? I mean, that was part of one of the first books I wrote was actually my daily blog from traveling. And then I condensed it down and turned it into a book. But I found that you know, we know this from nostalgia, right? We don't remember events exactly as they occur. There's a lot of lessons that I learned from the travels that I didn't fully resonate with until years afterwards. So, you know, and, and maybe the part of that is that nostalgia portion of it, right. but the other part might be, you know, it's, it's, it's just how, how it came about. 
All right, so storytelling, empathy. Uh, let's round off the your big advice with, say, a number three. And I mean, again, you know, it's an interesting combo because you're really helping people with the technical skills of the sales. And there are these parallels between public speaking or speaking or whatnot. But what is the best type of element within your speaking arsenal that you need to hone in to be the best salesperson? We talked about stories and we talked about empathy, but is there any other type of actual, you know, skill, like whether it's your tonal inflection or whether it's how well you can maintain a consistent speed or relate to different people in different ways from a sales strategy, what is the best piece of, um, you know, public speaking or presentation skill set that you think people need? If we, I mean, when we tie in public speaking to the sales strategy, I think the last one is really about gaining commitment. Gaining commitment. Okay. I mean, you know, you have to have some type of call to action with your audience. Otherwise, you've just told them a really good story. And people love stories, don't get me wrong. But if you are using your speaking platform as a selling from stage opportunity, like many of us do, right, whether that is actually selling into a program or selling your book, or, you know, just sign up for my newsletter to get even more information. At the end of the day, that's a sell. You know, we have to provide that gaining commitment and not just, you know, putting out that big ask, but it's really ties into, you know, what's that value? If I sign up for your newsletter, right? If I loved everything you said, Ryan, and I need to, you know, connect with you more and signing up for your newsletter, what am I essentially going to get, you know, every single week that I didn't get from a one hour talk where you were on stage, right? What am I going to get more from you? And why do I want to do that? And when we help our clients make those connections, that's how we can engage them further, right? I mean, selling from, or stop talking, right? And selling from stage, I mean, that's just one platform, right? You know, eventually we need to get them outside of, you know, a one-to-many conversation. And it's at some point to a one-to-one, if that's virtual or if that's just them feeling like they're one-to-one. I mean, you could still be selling an e-course program, but they still need to feel like it's specifically tailored for them in some way. I like that. The the call for commitment or something, because you're right. If you're just up there, you're telling stories, but there's no secondary step to it or call to action, then then what, right? And then what? Yeah. You know, and, and, and minimum, like if you're a keynote speaker where you can't essentially sell from stage, right? What do, are they going to have to do today or tomorrow to implement what you just taught them? Right. I mean, you know, they're not there to solely be entertained. At the end of the day, we want them to take some type of action on their life. We want them to be inspired and we inspire people by them, you know, whether that's picking up the phone the very next day and thinking like, oh, my goodness, Ryan encouraged me to do this. I'm going to I'm going to live everything Ryan told me on stage and I'm actually going to make this phone call all the way to, you know, maybe they make some type of drastic change in their life. Maybe they at that point decide, you know what, based on Kim's story, I'm going to go in tomorrow and quit my job and travel the world. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. You never know. Right. But we want them to make some type of action and we want them to hold that whole moment where we have created this emotional charge and let them do something with it. I think that's a great concept because I don't think a lot of speakers consider themselves you know, the, the, the S word is kind of dirty sometimes, but at the end of the day, you have to have something for people to take after the fact. So let's put on our sales cap now and let's pretend that you are teaching someone who is in the speaking business to sell themselves. And, you know, I think it's one thing when you're selling this intangible product for a service, but 
it is another thing when you are an up and coming speaker and you are selling yourself. There's this, I would think, dynamic between selling a product for a company that I'm with versus, hey, I'm actually, yeah, I'm I'm that person that you're trying to buy. I'm curious your process that you go through to help somebody get more gigs. And um, I, I love this concept and I want to hear more about the right customer, right? Not really negotiating. How do you get that premium rate? Because speaking and getting 10,000 bucks versus speaking 10,000 times, right? I mean, there's <laughs> there's definitely a parallel there, but what would your advice be from a sales perspective for speakers that are out there and they don't have a big bureau behind them or they don't have a full team of assistants to help them out or they don't have a sales crew? Where would you start somebody to get them to move the needle? If you wanted to get started on speaking, right, whether that is, you know, big stages or get to a point to where you're being paid, the first thing, I mean, you know, it's so difficult, but we have to ask and we have to put ourselves out there. When I'm going ahead and finding my own speaking gigs, you know, I end up using, I mean, yeah, I use, you know, programs like Speakers Hub, right, which always is a great collection of places to go to. But I also, you know, am Google searching constantly and looking for alerts. And I find out not only where the events are, but who's hosting them. And I, I connect with them on LinkedIn and schedule a phone call with them to tell them not necessarily who I am, but what I can bring to the table in terms of their audience interaction. We have to make sure we're making that connection between what we're actually giving the other person, not what we're getting and we're receiving. And when we can help somebody solve a problem, so for an event planner, right, or perhaps, you know, somebody who's hosting a conference and they're looking for speakers, for instance, their biggest problems are how am I going to fill the seats right? How am I going to maximize my revenue for this? And how am I going to create even more exposure so that even if I don't, you know, get to 300 attendees this year, how do I ensure that next year I already have that sold? So if you go to somebody and you let them know that you're going to help relieve, you know, one or many of those issues, all of a sudden they're like, oh, okay, now I'm going to listen, right? And they're, they're taking in that, that information. And it's not just about, you know, telling them exactly what you're doing, but holding yourself a little bit with, you know, humility, at the end of the day, you know, I mean, you become, you know, a $15,000, $20,000 speaker because number one, you know what you can provide, but number two, you're willing to help out. And when I go ahead and now, you know, now that I'm actually at that point where I'm offering, you know, I'm at that level, it's interesting because I'm still willing to help out the event organizer in whatever ways I can to help make their conference and their event a massive success. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> no, no, you, you did. You did. I mean, it's, we're starting here. We're just getting warmed up. But this idea, I think the main point that I took from that was you're not telling people about you. You're telling people about the problems that you can solve for them. And I'm a big proponent of this. Uh, you know, I, I talk all the time about how I don't care what you do. I only care about the problem that you solve. And I really, really care about it if I have that problem. And so you the ability of not really focusing on you but the problem that you solve really takes you out of the equation and makes it more like you are actually selling not a service but you're selling solutions to the problems absolutely right because when we're trying to in, in kind of going back originally to one of your other topics it was when we're selling ourselves the reason why we're so frustrated and we have a hard time selling ourselves is because we're, we're trying to think of ourselves as this human entity, right? And, you know, how do I sell Kim at the end of the day? But it has nothing to do with who Kim is. It has to do with the problem the other person has and what's the problem that I can solve. And that has the value 
associated with it. I mean, you know, if you're hosting an event, for instance, let's say you're hosting a, a massive sales and marketing event and somebody comes to you and they are one of the best, you know, physician speakers in the world, right? And they have all these accolades and Nobel Peace Prize and blah, 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 blah. And they said, listen, I'm the best in the world. As a person that's holding a conference for sales and business people, it doesn't matter how good or how amazing they are. It doesn't resonate with their audience. They wouldn't be interested in it, right? Whereas if he says, you know what, I'm not only going to tell you about, you know, how I got this Nobel Peace Prize, but what it did for my business and how this could help other people in other ways and blah, 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 blah. All of a sudden, the person's thinking to themselves, they're like, oh, actually, you know what? That would be a really cool perspective. It would kind of get us into a different way and it might draw in a new crowd or whatever that looks like. But we need to help make that connection, close those dots for them so that they can actually see the bigger picture with us. Now, here's a question on that. What are your thoughts about digging up what the problems are and assuming and or asking them what those problems are? Because it can get a little sketchy. Let's say, for example, there's a a two or three year old event that's in, let's say, Portugal, for example, and you check out their Twitter presence and they've got less than a thousand followers, you know. Are you in this process of selling yourself, getting them to identify what the problems are? Or are you also coming in there saying like, hey, I know that in general, you're trying to fill seats, you're trying to gain revenue and you're trying to gain exposure. And do you build off of those foundations? Or, or could you be straight up and be like, look, you have terrible presence on this platform. I've got a strong presence on this platform. I think I can help you there, right? That, that balance between calling people on what problems they have versus uh, letting them tell you or asking them, well, what about that investigative research process to figure out the problems that need to be solved? Yeah, I mean, both, right? I mean, number one, we already pretty much know what the main problems are for anybody that's organizing an event. But I mean, if you've done a little bit of research and said like, listen, like you only have a thousand followers on Twitter and my, you know, 20,000, 30,000 Twitter followers who are based on these geographies could actually help you, you know, increase your exposure even more. Can we have a greater connection and find out more? I mean, the initial conversation engagement of somebody is to get them on another conversation, right? I mean, nobody's going to go ahead and read your Twitter bio and be like, oh my goodness, that is the person we definitely need. Like, unless you're already sitting at a guy Kawasaki type of level. Right, right. right. You know, but if you're starting to build your business, I mean, the intention is to then get on a phone call so that you guys can talk in a collaborative way, be able to say, okay, tell me more about what you're suffering from. Let me see if I can help and determine. You know, the other way to kind of bring this fall back in full circle at the end of the day is, you know, when we're starting to offer that premium product and premium price, the bigger the problem you can solve for somebody, the more you're willing, they're willing to pay for those services for you. So when we undercover more of their problems and challenges that they have, and you provide them with a solution for that, you know, I mean, before you even get to what my speaker price is, you know, once you've solved all that, now you can start asking for, you know, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, or maybe it's something completely different that you're asking for, which many speakers are starting to get in the process of doing. But you want to, you, you want to poke holes a little bit, but show them you've done the research. If you haven't done all the research, at least let them, let them be recognized that you understand some of the challenges that they're facing. You immediately differentiate yourself as soon as you contact them. Hmm. It's a very consumer-centric focused sales, as opposed to just throwing in some application and focusing on your site being amazing and focusing on publishing your blogs and having your videos. I mean, this is a very hands-on sales approach. So you're saying that you're kind of getting your hands dirty. You're actually maybe 
identifying a call for speakers, but then not necessarily just submitting an application, getting in front of the organizers, connecting with them on LinkedIn, getting them on the phone, trying to figure out what they're, I love the the word suffering, right? What are they suffering <laughs> from without making them feel bad, right? I mean, it's kind of a, a balance between, hey, it's almost like a compliment sandwich, right? Like, hey, this looks like a great event. One thing I noticed that it looks like you're going to have a problem with, I can maybe help you out with something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Zig Ziglar said it. He's like, you can have everything you want in the world as long as you help enough people get what they want. And at the end of the day, I mean, you know, is it not worth, you know, 20 minutes of spending a little bit of research time if it's an opportunity to get you in front of a 20,000 person audience or a $10,000 gig? And from a speaker application process, I mean, think about the person that's having to actually go through all those speaker applications. I mean, how many are they receiving? 20, 30, a couple hundred, right? I mean, they're going to be paying attention to the ones that completely differentiate themselves or the names that they already recognize because somebody's actually reached out. And they're going to be like, oh my goodness, right. I actually, I just connected with that guy on LinkedIn. He's done his research. Right. Let's take a little bit extra time reading his application above all else. Sneaky sales getting to the soul of the purpose, which is their problem, which needs to be solved. I dig it. Absolutely, right? It, it, will, it will make you a winner every single time, but it's a win-win-win all the way across because you right. you are helping the other person in their event be able to attract a bigger audience, be able to create better audience engagement, whatever that is. And you get on stage and the other person is happy and the audience is even happier now too because they get to hear your personal story. Yeah, one of the things I on this this kind of commentary of adding value, I think a lot of speakers forget to add the value after the event is done, mm. right? Thanking those people, sending LinkedIn recommendations, writing an article based on your experience, you know, even showcasing some of the feedback that you get back to the organizers and things like that. I, the sales process, the way that I see it with a lot of these events, they're yearly events. Yeah. And you have a really good opportunity of like building this relationship and rapport. Uh, even if you don't, I, I encourage people, if you don't get the speaking gig that you're after, go to that event, like invest in it, go see, and then actually spend some face-to-face -face time. You might be able to connect with other speakers, but I like this idea of it's not all or nothing. It's just sort of like a constant, sort of grappling to get the most value that you can as you continue to build your speaking snowball, I guess. Absolutely, right? I mean, if you have decided that public speaking is either your new career or part of a bigger career picture or whatever that looks like, you owe it to yourself to invest in, you know, attending the events that you want to be featured at, connecting with the people that are somehow going to host you, right? And doing, you know, supporting them in whatever way possible, because that stuff builds one on top of the other. Nobody ever wants to deal with somebody who's just going to take everything they can, right? Give me another gig, give me another gig, give me another gig, right? They actually want to have people part of their tribe. The same way as us, we want to have individuals as part of our tribe. We want to get to a point where when Kim Orleski is announced, people are rising up on their feet and giving me a standing ovation before I even walk in there. Yeah. But the only way I get to that point is because those people feel like you have given them so much crazy value before that point in time, right? That they're so excited to see you. And that's no different than having the event organizers, right? And the, the staff that are there, right? And sending off like crazy thank yous and appreciation and gratitude, whether that is after the event or even before the event. I mean, when I was at HubSpot's inbound event, I spent, you know, a few hours just writing a really good article about the top speakers that you need to see at the event. 
And I shared it with all the speakers that I featured and everything. And I was giving back not only to the event, but to the other speakers, even before the event, helping to create brand awareness and exposure. And best believe they invite me back already, right? Because they're like, you know what? Awesome. Like we want people part of our tribe, right? Either before or after. So find the time whenever you can to express that gratitude in whichever ways. Yeah. Or when they're going to write their article, guess who comes top of mind to call or be mentioned there? It's the same kind of thing. It's very pay it forward. Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a give back, right? <laughs> Yeah. So with assuming a lot of this works across the board, are there any particular tweaks that you would advise for people who are trying to get international gigs, really trying to break outside of where they are and, and do the big jump? I know a lot of the same principles are the same, but you know, there's kind of a cultural divide sometimes. Maybe there's a language barrier sometimes. Are there any other tweaks to your method of attack if you are trying to get into that international speaking scene? Yeah, I think the best, I mean, you same as we had already talked about, right? Reach out to yeah. people that you know, but it doesn't necessarily always have to be the event organizers, right? You know, start connecting with people. I love LinkedIn. I think it's a powerful tool. And if you're not currently using it, I mean, connect with people. You can just search for speaker on LinkedIn and maybe some of the countries that you're interested in speaking at, whether that's Australia or Portugal or, you know, even England or whatever else that is. Connect with other speakers, right? Be like, listen, I want to go speak at an event. Like, do you know of anybody? We're always, we're typically, as speakers, we're happy to help out each other because we know that we can't be everything to everyone all the time. Right. I have one gentleman, you know, in England that has, you know, he's constantly reaching out to me. He's like, listen, if you ever find out of any really good events in, you know, the US, he's like, let me know, pass them along. You have to stay top of mind with people, right? I mean, remember to follow up with them every so often, every three months, six months, right? Just be like, hey, how are things going? Create that relationship with it and they will stay top of mind. It's not just a one-time reach out and then disappear forever. It's, you know what? Hey, I saw this article and I thought of you. Hey, I saw this event application and I thought of you. And we're giving to them an exchange they're going to come back and give to us. Event organizers also love this, right? Where they're like, listen, there's an event exactly like yours or similar to yours in Pittsburgh, right? Um, you know, we think that's going to be a great opportunity. Is there any way that, you know, we can see if we can connect you with somebody or whatever else, right? They might not be interested, but they're like, holy crap, like this person actually is taking a little bit of time out of their day to help me out. Like, that's really cool. And that stuff, you know, spreads like wildfire. It's that abundance mentality, which I think is so important because one of the things that you said that I do often is I'm always scraping and looking for, you know, different opportunities, but they're not always ones that I'd want to speak at. And so I sit there and I think and I forward the same call to speakers for two or three or four people that I know would be up their alley. And it's amazing because they get so stoked. I mean, when somebody sends you a call for speakers that's not on your radar, that's like really in your swing zone, that makes somebody so stoked. And then they're going to be looking and keeping an eye out and sending something right back your way. So I I think that's a really, really powerful tip, especially for the international gigs. Oh, you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, I, I did the exact same thing and I had one girlfriend that sent me back. Like, number one, they feel honored, right? Oh my goodness, I can't believe you thought of me. Yeah. But when they're accepted to be a speaker and then they're like, you know, because it changes their, like, their game, right? And, you know, the rising tide raises all the ships at the end of the day. Yeah. Another thing too is, is if you actually get accepted or when I get accepted to speak somewhere, I'll ask them just very nonchalantly, 
are you having an issue filling any of the other roles? Or are there breakout sessions that you would like some referrals to? Because oftentimes at these larger events, there will be a number of breakout sessions. And it's sometimes a challenge to get them all filled, even if they have hundreds of applications. So if you're already in and the deal's already signed, at that point, I've just said, you know, is there anybody that you're looking for? And then I'll send those profiles to the organizer first. And the organizer will say, wow, introduce me to A, B, C. So you're not setting people up for failure. You're not like, hey, check this out. You actually check with the organizer first. And I've definitely placed uh, a handful of people in conferences that I'm speaking at. And it's a double, double whammy because then you can hang out at the conference and everybody's super happy. And it's like, Whoa! And they and the organizers love that, right? They love when they see yeah. so much camaraderie, right? Between the speakers and the attendees and everything. I mean, the last thing they want is to bring a speaker in that is going to come in, speak, and then take off, right? right? They want the speakers to be, you know, engaging with the audience. They want them walking around the trade show floor, right? Because they want to create that. We forget sometimes as speakers that, you know, people are afraid to come up to us, right? They, they see us on a different pedestal. And when we just approach somebody and like, Hey, you know, and you have a conversation and they ask you what you're doing. You're like, Oh, I'm a speaker. And also, you know, but that stuff goes so long because the organizers get word of that. And they're like, Oh, that is cool. Right. Like they're interacting with our, because they're creating a tribe and every member of the tribe has to be fully bought in. And the opposite works as well. If you get somebody who's a nasty speaker talking and yeah, after the fact, if they're just like, no, I have time for you, that circles up back to the organizers and that puts a bad rap. Because <gasps> at the end of the day, the organizers, as you said, are mm-hmm. trying to solve their own problems. They yeah. are suffering. So the Kim way is to find that suffering, politely let them know that they are bleeding and <laughs> offer them a Band-Aid that's the right size for the right finger and <laughs> the right type of durability. You know, because you can get the wrong type of Band-Aid and it just does not work. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I think that I think that this is a, a great, solid, basic approach from yeah. a sales standpoint, making sure that you're focused on your stories. You've got the empathy and you've got that commitment at the end and getting stories from your own life. You don't have to be fantastic or fabulous. It's the lessons learned. And Kim's going to re- be releasing a new app soon. It's called the um, the story reverse engineer app.com. <laughs> I got, I'm all of a sudden going to get like all these emails be like, oh, I'm in app development. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, if you're out there and you're like, I always like a tweet challenge. If you want to see Kim's program that she puts together to help you journal and then reverse engineer stories, I want you to tweet her and tweet me. She's Kim Orleski, K-I-M-O-R-L-E-S-K-Y. And I'm at Ryan Fallen and tweet us. And if you create enough traction on Twitter, you create enough <laughs> Enough noise, then Kim's going to develop it. I'm going to call it right now. We'll, we'll have to. Yeah, I know. And Ryan's going to get his cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we will. Uh, we'll figure out a deal. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk after this. We'll negotiate beforehand. But yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Tweet us, right? I mean, I would love to hear from as many people. If you guys, if you tweet me, I do retweet you back, right? I love having people tweet me. Yeah. Me too. I'm a big Twitter fan as well. Hey, well, let's continue the conversation on Twitter. And this has been so much fun. I love the energy. I like Canada even more when I already loved it. And I'm excited to maybe share the stage with you sometime. If I come across a call for speakers that works for people who are trying to revolutionize the sales process, I will let you know. And uh, let's just keep solving problems. But uh, I really appreciate the time. It was a lot of fun talking with you. Oh, I love it, Ryan. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. 
Hey, and before we go, where would you want people to find you online? We know that they're going to tweet you already, so you get a bonus. Would you like to drive them to a website or to LinkedIn? What's the favorite way for you to get in touch with people? Yeah, you know what? I mean, if they want to, they can go to either of them, uh, definitely. But if they want to reach out to me directly, right? I mean, I want to give people my email address, right? Feel free to like, just send me a message. I love it. I will respond to you. It's Kim at KimOrleski.com. And I will reply to you as soon as I get your message. Nice. And you said you have a podcast too? I do. It's currently on hiatus right now uh, because okay. I did give my my little boy, uh, he was born in February. So I wanted to give him some time just for some mommy Marcus time. Um, it should be relaunching again in, in February, but there are several episodes already out there. It is the Kim Orleski show. So go ahead, listen to that sales advice from, you know, some of the most biggest entrepreneurs and sales leaders. Awesome. All right. Well, everybody check it out. Kim, we'll continue the conversation. Thanks so much. And we are out. Everybody tune in for past episodes and future episodes of the world of speakers. This is at Ryan Folland out. Bye, Kim. Bye.